I want to begin as we ease into the sermon with a question for you to consider. What marks someone as a Christian? What marks someone as belonging to God's people through Jesus Christ? What makes someone who is a Christian different from someone who's standing right beside them who is not a Christian? What's the key difference there? Is it that the Christian goes to church and the non-Christian does not go to church? Is it that the Christian is nice and the non-Christian is mean? Is it that the Christian voted one way and the non-Christian voted another way? There's a couple of different ways to look at that question and the answer in Scripture, but our passage today gives us one in particular that we want to focus in on. Our passage today makes it clear that one of the most important and foundational distinguishing marks of a Christian is faith. Christians are those who have faith in Jesus Christ and what God has said in his word. That is one of the most important distinctions between a Christian and a non-Christian is faith. That's what we looked for as we talked with Anna and as, you know, as we met with uh, me and Anna and her parents. Wasn't looking for, okay, well, Anna, let's look at your church attendance history over the last couple of years and see if you have attended enough church to get baptized. We weren't looking at how frequently does she have a devotional time every morning because it needs to be at least, say, five out of seven mornings per week for you to be up there enough to get baptized. Let's interview all your friends and see if you've been nice this week because you have to reach this level in the niceometer before you can be counted as a Christian. No, it was about faith primarily. Now, that faith will work itself out in more visible demonstrations. You will be able to tell what people believe in because of how they behave. But right now, this morning, let's think about faith. Let's think about our faith. You think about your faith. As we read Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. There's three verses this morning. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. For those of you who are visiting with us, we've been slowly moving through Galatians uh, this fall. And this is where we find ourselves, and it's a good passage for today. I just want to read it through and then talk about a couple of features of this passage. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, if you haven't been with us, you may not have been thinking a lot about the issues of Jewish believers versus Gentile believers. Those of you who have been with us, we've been thinking about these things for weeks I think it would be helpful to begin to receive this passage to just go back and remember Abraham's story a little bit. We won't go through every detail of Abraham's story, but do you remember Abraham's story? That's who he's referring to here in the passage. A long, long time ago, 
Sometime, it's the first major story in Genesis after the Tower of Babel story. That's how long ago it was. The Lord spoke to a man named Abram. And we read that account in Genesis chapter 12. I just want to read what the Lord said to this man named Abram, who would become Abraham, referred to in Galatians chapter 3. So Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. So let's just stop right there. Now, we, I need your help here. Try to put yourself in Abram's shoes. We need to try to visualize this as real. Often we read the Old Testament and it seems like sort of fairy tale legend stuff. This is real. So try to visualize it. Try to imagine it and try to think what would you do if you were the one that the Lord was coming to and saying these things to that he's saying to Abram here. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So leave your country, leave America, leave your kindred, leave your people, leave leave your culture that you're used to, your social network of people, leave all that behind. Leave your family, leave your extended family, you can take your household with you, but leave your town, leave your routines, leave your familiarity, leave all that, go. Now what would you do with that command? How hard would you wrestle in prayer to make sure you understood this rightly before you acted on it? Now see what else God says in verse 2. He tells him to just leave everything, verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram just has promises. He doesn't even know where his destination is. He can't plug it into his GPS. All he knows is to leave where he's standing. He doesn't know exactly where he's landing. And all he has to base his action on is God's unseen promises. Could you do that? Could you leave everything? Just trusting in God's unseen promises. I like to think that you could. I think that the Spirit could enable you to do that. Abraham did go. He was about 75 years old here. Now, you'll remember people lived longer back then, so that was probably sort of getting toward middle age for back then. But he did go. He left everything familiar to him. A little bit later, after some things happened, God spoke to him again in Genesis 15. I'll just read verses 5 and 6. And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So here's Abraham, middle age, Abraham. God says, look at the stars. You can kind of hear the crickets chirping in your ears. Stand out there with Abraham. Look at the stars. You're going to have this many offspring. Verse 6 is pivotal. Abraham's response says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to Abraham as righteousness. Some time went on. Abraham was 99 years old, and he still hadn't had the promised son that was supposed to lead to offspring as numerous as the stars. And God spoke to him again in chapter 17 of Genesis. Verse 6, 
Lord said to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And he goes on, he gives him a lot of instructions, a lot of information about this. And then down in verse 10, he says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, we don't think a whole lot about circumcision usually, but it was a big deal in the Galatian church. There were two things that marked God's people from Abraham. Internally, it was their faith. They were people who believed God, theoretically at least. They struggled with that, just like you and I do. And then externally, there was a physical mark of the covenant that they were God's people, and that was circumcision. And so through all the generations of God's people, these were two very important things, their faith, internal markings of God's people, and circumcision, external markings of God's people. Now, if you remember, part of the promise God gave to Abraham, it was Abram at that point, but Abraham, was that somehow through his lineage, he was going to bless all the nations, not just the Jewish people, but all the different nations. That's what the Bible refers to as Gentiles, people that aren't Jews, would be blessed. That promise remained basically unfulfilled. The Jews probably thought it just meant, well, we'll be a blessing because we are following the Lord's way, so we'll radiate blessing. But it meant something more specific, we find out in the New Testament. It was referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus established a new covenant in his blood so that anyone who would trust in him could be counted righteous before God. And with this new covenant, the outer symbolism went away. The outer marking of circumcision was no longer necessary to be marked as God's people. Instead, we have baptism and the Lord's Supper as our outward demonstrations. And what Paul is trying to explain to the Galatian Christians is that it's not the circumcision of Abraham that matters, it's the faith of Abraham that matters. Jesus established everything that the Old Testament pointed to in establishing the new covenant. Faith in him equals righteousness. Now, the Galatian Christians really struggled with this. The Jewish believers in Galatia thought for sure these Gentile Christians would need this external marking of circumcision to be counted among God's people. And pretty much the whole letter of Galatians is a correction to that. Paul's saying, no, it is not. The circumcision is the faith that marks someone as God's. Now, all that history in mind, let's reread our three verses. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then. So here's what this scripture is wanting to do to us. It's wanting us to just know this. Just know something. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's not those of circumcision necessarily who are truly the sons of Abraham. It's those of faith. It's not necessarily just the people that go to church who are God's people. It's those of faith. You can go to church and yet not believe savingly in Jesus Christ. It's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify or make innocent the Gentiles like us, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So real simple bottom line, if you got lost through that historical sketch, Christians are people of faith. God's people are people of faith. 
If you are a Christian, know that you are a person of faith. You are a man of faith. You are a woman of faith. Faith is mentioned four times in these three verses. It means believing that something is true enough that you act on it. I always and only use one example, and it's the pew you're sitting in. You believed that that pew would hold you up. You acted on it by plopping yourself down into it. Abram believed that God would fulfill his promises. He acted on it by leaving everything he knew and going to a land that he hadn't been shown yet. Paul, who used to persecute Christians, encountered Jesus Christ and came to be convinced, and he believed in Jesus Christ, and he acted on that belief by forsaking all of his Jewish credentials and righteousness and preaching salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted the Galatians to remember what they believed about salvation in Jesus Christ enough to act on it and stop trying to impose circumcision on Gentile believers. Now, that's not a big problem for us. I haven't overheard in the hallways any of you trying to impose circumcision on anyone. But we, too, believe and act according to that belief because we are people of faith. If you are a Christian, that's who you are. So for Anna, you read her testimony and heard Ron read it. She believes in Jesus Christ as her Savior, and so she acts on that in many different ways, but the one she highlighted most in her testimony, how she approaches her struggles with anxiety. She approaches those from a completely unique standpoint because she is a woman of faith. I was thinking about these things this morning as I was sort of buzzing around the church and setting things up, and it occurred to me that in all these examples, to be a man or woman of faith in God and Jesus specifically necessarily means letting go of other things that we might otherwise trust in. Abraham had to let go of all that familiar territory and people in order to trust in God and obey. Paul had to let go of his Jewish accomplishments in order to be a man of faith in Jesus Christ. The Galatians were going to have to let go of circumcision in order to unite with these Gentile believers trusting in Jesus. So now we trace, connect the dots back to us. Let's evaluate our own faith. Do you believe what God has said here? Do you believe what God has said about Jesus Christ in here? What God has said about everything else in here? And are you acting out that belief? Have you let go of other things that you might otherwise trust in in order to have faith in Jesus Christ and all of his good promises in the word? Or are you trying to hang on to both? Abraham couldn't really stay, he couldn't build like his primary residence where he was when God called him and build like a summer house in the promised land. He couldn't do both, he couldn't straddle both. Paul couldn't both persecute Christians and join the Christians. He couldn't do both. The Galatians couldn't continue to insist that circumcision was necessary to be right with God and welcome in Gentiles and not require circumcision. They had to let go of one and embrace the other. So is there any way in your life that you're trying to straddle both, trying to trust in something else? First, to be right with God. That's the main thing Galatians is talking about. Are you trusting in anything in addition to Jesus Christ to be right with God? 
Are you saying, yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I'm also trying to be the best person I can be, so hopefully I can make it over the bar and get into heaven? Because that's not how it works. You have to let go of all that. All those efforts to justify yourself, you have to leave behind in order to trust in Jesus. And then the whole rest of your life as a Christian becomes a daily letting go of lesser faiths to hold on to the capital faith. Thinking about this letting go in order to trust in God fully, I remember trying to ride an escalator for the first couple of times as a kid. And I feel like that's exactly what this feels like. Or if you've seen the movie Elf, we always watch the movie Elf when we, when we first start decorating for Christmas. And you remember that scene where you put one foot on the escalator and it starts to go, but you don't feel comfortable yet enough to take your other foot off of the stable ground. I think there's a lot of people in churches that are kind of like that. Yeah, I want to be a Christian, but I also want to make sure I have all my stability and security totally wrapped up in these other things. And it doesn't work like that. You have to let go of that in order to embrace this. So many among us, just thinking of some specific examples, are caring for aging parents. And those situations can be just exhausting. Those can be so difficult. My mom worked at a place called Council on Aging in Union County, and through her I got a glimpse into just the wear and tear of caring for aging parents, especially uh, if there's cognitive issues involved. And, and some of us are you know, beginning to experience some things like this, or maybe it's just physical issues. And you're stretched thin, and you've got your own responsibilities at home, and then you've got this other growing responsibility. Now, as a Christian, you believe that God is your source of strength and that he will give you the wisdom and the strength and the energy you need for the good works he has prepared beforehand for you, including honoring your parents in this way. And so you must let go of your self-dependence in order to fully embrace dependence on the Lord for what you need to carry out this ministry. You can't straddle and rely on both. You need to fully rely on the Lord. You get to fully rely on the Lord. Several among us are facing some really uncertain financial times right now. Uh, The pandemic, the political situation, all this has conspired to just make everything uncertain, including a lot of our jobs. There's been a lot of people being furloughed, a lot of people laid off, a lot of people's hours cut back. That can create a great deal of anxiety and stress, can it not? But as Christians, we remember what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. He taught his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. The people that don't know God worry about those things. You know that God's going to take care of you, so seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So as Christians, we have to let go of our desperate attempts to control our situations and embrace instead that kind of radical faith in God's provision and keep seeking the kingdom. All right, we'll skirt the edges of politics again. Many of you are just freaked out politically. But as Christians, we remember we are citizens of the kingdom of God. As Julia was sharing from Isaiah We have on the throne King Jesus, the eternal throne that will never, ever be toppled or changed. And as citizens of the kingdom, we have stability and good work to do. And so as Christians, we can't be as equally freaked out as our non-Christian neighbors. Now, we be concerned and engaged. That's all good and fine. 
But what makes us different is our faith. And what a great opportunity right now during 2020 for that difference to show itself loud and proud. We are people of faith. This is what makes us different. Not our religious activities. A lot of people have religious activities. It's not even our morality. I know some non-Christians that are probably nicer than some Christians. Now, hopefully those Christians are growing in Christ-likeness and they're, they're on a good trajectory, but if, if the, a mean-as-a-snake person becomes a Christian, they're not automatically going to be a fluffy teddy bear. It's going to take time as they grow. What's different about them isn't going to be their niceness. It's their faith. So if you are a Christian, you are a man or a woman of faith. You are a person of faith. And this passage just simply wants us to know it, to remember it. That's our takeaway. Not a lot of action steps from this necessarily, unless the Holy Spirit has prompted something in you. Just know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is your heritage as one among God's people. This is your lineage. You are a son, a daughter of Abraham. This is your culture. This is who we are. You need to remember it and live in light of it this week. I want to pray for us, and then I'll invite Matt Hagler up for the last part of our service. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for making a way through your son, Jesus Christ, for sinners like me and like every person in this sanctuary to be justified, to be made righteous and innocent before you. We confess that of our own merits, we do not deserve it. We could not ever earn it. It is all based on your mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we get to be your people. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to live as people of faith. In whatever we encounter today or this week, in all of our conversations, let it be evident. We trust you. And more pointedly, we trust in Jesus Christ as both the Savior and the Lord, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Let us wear our faith on our sleeves. Let it come up frequently in conversation. Let people know that about us more than they know anything else about us. Help us to live as people of faith, please. In Jesus' name, amen.